Hello, I'm Arielle Kroon. And I'm Christina Della Rocha. Welcome to Season 2 of Solar Punk Presence, the podcast introducing you to the people working today to create a future we'd like to live in. Because if solar punk as a genre of fiction dreams about the just and sustainable world we'd like to live in in the future, solar punk as a movement rolls up its sleeves and gets down to the business of bringing it about. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of season two, in which Ariel interviews Thomas Cannon about the EP of solar punk music, that's four songs there, that he has made entitled Mesh Network. You can stream and or purchase Mesh Network on Thomas's Bandcamp page, which you can find at tcannonfodder.bandcamp.com. Whatever else you end up inspired to do, definitely give the track Heard a listen. I loved that one. But now take it away, Ariel and Thomas. Hello, Solar Punks, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm talking today with Thomas Cannon, who recently released an album of solar punk music called Mesh Network, and I'm looking forward to learning more about it. Thomas, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is really, really exciting. I want to start out by just asking you very broadly to begin with, in your words, what is solar punk music? This one is a tough question to answer, like most questions that have importance. I would say that solar punk music is anything that either talks about the climate or places the listener in a solar punk environment. And that's a little bit broad, but the reason for that is that a lot of our imagination for solar punk is built on visual works, whether they're traditional art or architectural renderings or writing. And it felt weird to me when I was making the CP that there is this largely giant gulf in our cultural imagination because we didn't really have music that invoked solar punk. Mm -hmm. But admittedly, one of the problems of trying to create solar punk music from my experience and what I've seen is that making the sound isn't easy. It's not like cyberpunk where you can throw a ton of synths at each other and make that moody and boom, you've got this big old neon hellscape. It's rainy, it's cold. Everyone knows what you're talking about. But because soul punk is more helpful, it, it tends to be more expansive than reductive. So any solar punk music would be continuations of existing musical traditions and the real human emotions that we have that like carry music forward because that's who we are as people. And currently we're in this state of climate rebellion and alarm raising in music that addresses the climate, but doesn't necessarily address it from a solar punk perspective. So when you asked me this question, I was like digging through things and like digging through my records to try to find stuff. And I found two examples in particular of like the closest I found to like solar punk music, but it's more climate punk. It would be One Beat by Sleater Kinney and then Sink or Swim by Slotface. Both talk about the world that we're living in now and they're yearning for a better word. So they're solar punk in the present, but it's arguable that they're more climate punk. That is super cool. I'm going to have to look up those songs. One Beat by Sleater Kenny probably has like the best drums that have ever been made in the past 20 years and I'll stand on that hill. (laughs) Awesome. You describe Mesh Network as a meditation on what a grounded solar punk future could be like without some of the annoyances that I have with both ambient music and solar punk work. So first, I wanted to ask you about why you decided, after all, to go ahead and create a solar punk work of ambient music. I stumbled into it, honestly. 
so I'm very new to making music. I only started making music in July of 2020 when I realized, hey, I actually have the time and capacity to have a hobby after so long of not having an actual hobby. And as part of that, I try to get in like a weekly practice just to like clock hours and build the skills and just develop, you know, playing catch up to, you know, people who have been playing music since they were kids. During one of those weekly practice sessions, I had got the idea of, okay, digital music or music that's created digitally has this problem of being dead. It doesn't have the environment that it was recorded in. I think a really good example of this is Kopecky's second album. They talked about how they recorded the entire album in a giant house in the middle of a house party. So you can like hear this very warm ambient hum that exists throughout the entire thing. And with digital music, since everything is so meticulously put in place, unless you add that, the music feels dead. There's not there's not those artifacts that make it feel like it's a lived in thing. Yeah, so, that's so interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's fun. Um, if you take some of your favorite albums and then like try to listen to the beginnings and the ends of them and like hear for those hu- the hums and the fuzz and the buzz, that helps put you into that place. Related. P.T. Anderson recorded some music videos with Haim where he just recorded them in the studio and you can feel that, that energy of like everybody being in the same room and how that moves, how that creates the music. Back to how I stumbled into it. I ended up um, deciding, oh, what happens if I incorporate field recordings from like nature webcams that exist around the world? And I found a couple of really great recordings um, where I got a really, really great bit from camera out in the Sahara on a riverbank. Um, It was super moody, super creepy, got some great animal calls in there. And that track actually became consolidation after I started layering some synths on it. And I was like, oh, I can do something really weird with this. There are some legs to this idea. How do I expand it? I remembered solar punk and I said, okay, let's do something a little bit different. I don't want to be, um, full disclosure, I am a mid-30s white dude who works in tech, who does a lot of synth work. Mm-hmm. I basically am in a shoebox so much that like I'm in an off-Broadway shoes. Like you know what that would normally sound like, but I like doing different things. I like pushing the boundaries of what music can be and what it sounds like. So I remembered solar punk. I realized I haven't really heard any music like that. And I was like, okay, let's take on this challenge. I was actually going to ask you, uh, what kind of instruments do you use on this album? So hearing about those nature tracks uh, is really, really fascinating to me. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I would say that there are like two parts to my instruments that I use. We'll start with the field recordings, because I think that the field recordings are the most important part of what makes Mesh Network feel lived in and unique as a project. The trick with finding field recordings, you have a couple of different factors. You have to make sure that you're getting those ethically or slash like by the right manners. Um, So Mm -hmm. for example, there were a couple of times where I had gotten field recordings or I could have gotten field recordings, but they would have been too... People like you could have probably heard people too clearly, or I didn't necessarily have the rights to those. So I didn't want to use those just for like privacy concerns and things like that. And then finding good audio quality recordings is hard as well. So I used a lot of explore.org's cameras for this. 
what I ended up doing to try to not game it too much and make it to where it felt too artificial that this was not of a place. It was me taking a whole bunch of samples and stitching them together. I would literally have my computer set up to record the audio from the camera. And then I would like walk away from my computer for 10 minutes because I didn't want to be monitoring the entire thing to like find the spikes or like get too impatient. Right, right. So in a way, it's kind of like setting up trail cams. The the trail cam isn't going to do its job if I'm here. I am inherently going to change the output of this trail camera. Right. It's a very scientific process, it sounds like. It is. I mean, that came down to like the selection and being like, okay, um, where do I like... What kinds of sounds do I want to find? What kind of environment do I want this to replicate? So for nature recordings, that ended up being the process of like finding an open access camera, getting the audio from it. A lot of times I had to like equalize the audio because there was like a hum or a buzz just from the recording equipment. It turns out it's like really hard to keep recording equipment nice and well-maintained in the wilderness. Um, So you just have to like take these spikes and drop them down and like find the stuff that you wanted. But for uh, Dawn at the Metro Hub, which you said you wanted to talk about tracks in particular, we'll get to that. I ended up having to ask a bunch of different people for field recordings and stitch them all together. But for the instruments, in keeping with Solar Punk's general aesthetic and the use only what you need philosophy, I have a very anti-gas approach. Gas is a fun music term for gear acquisition syndrome. Is the tendency for musicians to be like, I need this piece of equipment and I'm going to buy it. I'm only going to use it once because I need it for this one particular sound. um, And then that's going to be the end of it. Or like somebody who has like 20 different guitars and (laughs) they only sound marginally different. My approach is that I only have one of each piece of equipment and I try to use stuff that's like built in or stock and push those boundaries. Basically, rather than having a giant expansive toolkit only having a very small toolkit and going as deep as possible in those. So Mesh Network was made with my Korg Minilog, which is a great all-purpose synth. It's an analog synth, but you can change it digitally and like record data and send it over MIDI. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. A number of stock and free orchestral instruments and Apple's Logic Studios like drum machine and synths. So Having that creative restraint of one type of each instrument forced me to think hard about what sounds I needed and how to achieve them so that each instrument had a distinct purpose and a clear role. Pivoting a little bit, the first track, Dawn at the Metro Hub, I wanted to talk to you about that because it evokes the early morning ambiance of waiting for a train with other people, listening to street musicians and vendors starting their routines with a lot of prominent Latin American influences. It's really great working music I found. It's such a vibe. Can you tell us more about it? So uh, you talked a little bit about the process of creating the entire album, but about this track specifically. Could you talk about that? Dawn at the Metro Hub was a technically arduous track from start to finish. To paint the scene for people that go and listen, it is a semi-diegetic soundscape of Montevideo as an exploration of what a solar punk city could sound like. I'm glad that you caught the Latin American influences because that was a very crucial thing that I wanted to make sure that I addressed. 
I knew that I wanted the EP to explicitly recognize the work already being done in Latin America to combat climate change and build a solar punk future. And then in addition to that, I wanted it to feel explicitly grounded in the real world. One of the things that I tried to avoid with this EP is the false notion that everyone's life will become completely transformed and 100% focused on the mechanics of a solar punk utopia. The way I see it is that a realistic solar punk future is going to be built by a series of habitual and structural changes, such as how we produce energy, how we move around, our diets, what our working hours look like, the services that our governments provide for citizens. But as you said, in your rural versus urban episode, people will still be people. We're still going to have the everyday annoyances that drive us. I just wanted that to be clear. Related to that, I wanted to emphasize that the biggest ecological wins that we could make as a species need to be done at the community and the governmental level. Those are systems that we put in place to make large structural changes. Fundamental things like actual wealth taxing, environmental regulations with real teeth, robust and free public transit and city planning. We all live with the results of those decisions, which is why, again, a lot of the things that build the solar punk future and dawn at the metro hub are things that are done by the city or the government level. There are things like free valet parking for bikes, the fact that there is a robust public transit the fact that the city offers composting services, the fact that there is a community share that is being put forth in one of the parks. I think the closest that you run into, if I remember correctly from the samples that I got from people, is that I think the closest of like, these are people living in a solar punk future is somebody lovingly chiding their grandmother for getting for not rolling out their water collector. And that's it. The rest of it is just like, Everyday people talking about their stuff, talking about the food that they're eating, talking about the fact like, I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to have to take the train. I'll see you when I get home. Like that is those sorts of things. Given all of that and given the importance of the track, both as an introduction to the EP and being the one that's the most grounded in a real place, I recorded it last to make sure I was warmed up and ready to go. Again, because I wanted to focus on Latin America's work currently, I reached out to native Spanish speakers, asked them to record the voiceovers, gave them ideas of these are the things that I kind of want it to be, or like the things I kind of want to say, but you are the native Spanish speaker. You know, what makes the most sense? Like, what? how do you translate this? I don't, I don't want a direct translation. I want a cultural translation with this as well. I asked guitarist friends for some demos. The drums that are playing in there that is a crucial part of Uruguay's musical culture called the Kendombe. I researched a ton of different variations to help ground it in Uruguay's musical context. I did end up having to use a drum machine simply because I lacked the skills to perform it properly. But given all of those limitations, I think that it turned out pretty well. It's also my first time collaborating with a multitude of people, and I'm incredibly grateful for everyone that put in the work for this track. It literally could not have been completed without them. I love how collaborative this entire track is, and it really speaks to the way that solar punk is people. Solar punk is the way that we're moving towards the future. It's just, like you said, people doing some of these repetitive actions over and over again to make life a little bit better where they are. 
and to bring about that more just, equitable future. And I really see this collaboration in all spheres of life, but especially in this context of music, as really evocative of that. So thank you for explaining that. Thank you for letting me talk about it. It's like a lot of like really weird technical details. And even some musicians are like, oh, that's really in the weeds. <laughs> but it's, I think it's really important to the overall concept of the album. As you said, this is the first thing that people hear is the introduction to the album and it really sets the tone. So I wanted to move on to talking about the next track, Consolidation. It's a track that deliberately showcases the idea of pulling away from the previous places that we inhabited. And those are your words. And I wanted to ask you what you mean by that. I'm really intrigued by that. Uh, could you elaborate? This ties into the discussion that the rural versus urban solar punk uh, discussion. One of the common topics that we talk about when we discuss solar punk is the idea of the natural world being incorporated into everyday life. Oftentimes, unfortunately, it feels like a concession for sprawl. The idea being that if we have to expand, we won't torch everything in the process, but consolidation, urbanization, and smart land use are crucial for ecological stability and growth. Whether we like it or not, natural habitats do form out of human endeavors as we encroach further and further into natural spaces, natural environments reintroduce themselves. I mean, you have the issues of as suburban sprawl expands, forest wildlife such as deer and foxes and coyotes like incorporate themselves into those spaces. These things just happen as a byproduct of human endeavors. So we should be preemptive about it. But again, the problem is that when we talk about it, we talk about the solar punk future that we want to build, we focus on either the on either end of the process. We either talk about before it happens, as in you and I are talking about it now and saying, yes, we need to have smart land use. We need to consolidate. We need to urbanize. We need to think about using the environment better and building a and reclaiming habitable land and ecologically stable land. Or we talk about it after we're imagining the future and we're talking about the, you know, we're, we're painting the beautiful dream of what we could have. And everybody who wants to live in a city lives in a nice compact city. Everybody who lives in a farm or out in a rural area lives in a rural area and they have a, and they have a good ecological footprint, but we don't talk about that middle process. By not focusing on that middle part, we either paint it as impossible in our minds or an inevitability that will be handled by someone else. So making something that was explicitly about this middle process, about focusing on what those spaces would be and sound like forces the listener to ask themselves, what do I have to do to make this happen? What are the concessions? What are the things? What are the changes that I have to make individually to make this happen? Those are important questions to ask oneself. And I would add, you know, what are the changes I have to make individually, but then also how can I contribute to the change that's being made collectively in society? You mentioned, uh, you know, local government mm -hmm. oversight of things or in whatever form the political system will be, there will always be some sort of collective group body that is overseeing things like composting and transit and things like that. So how can I contribute to making that a better process for everybody involved? That's really, really good thing to think about. Yes. And thank you for catching that. 
I forgot to add like the context of like, you know, coming to peace with the fact of either you have to be involved in those situations or, you know, give up some nimbyism. In order to do those things, you have to make peace with yourself and what you can do. I wanted to ask you about the third track in the album. It's called Heard, which for me, you know, it evokes the very rural shepherd style imagery, which is less solar punk and more of sort of a retro pastoral idea. And it contrasts, I think, with the other two tracks just on seeing it just on a very basic linguistic level on first encounter. But how does this track speak to the role of agriculture in solar punk? Gosh, I love talking about her because hurts the track that speaks to me the most personally, because I care deeply about agriculture and making sure we get it right. That was actually my introduction to solar punk as a broader ecological movement. My basic pipeline was, okay, I care about infrastructure. I care about food. I care about agriculture. I care about the environment. Cool. I'm a solar punk now. And with agriculture, agriculture is an essential part of how we interact with the environment. And it's really where we show our true ecological colors. And oftentimes, I find that solar punk has a lot of great aspirational ideas related to food and agriculture, but they don't scale to address the needs of 7 billion people. Christina, the producer, breaking in here with the bad news that as of November 15th, 2022, World population has actually been at 8 billion people. Okay, back to the interview. Oftentimes, I find that solar punk has a lot of great aspirational ideas related to food and agriculture, but they don't scale to address the needs of 8 billion people. For concrete examples, you have meat consumption, animal husbandry, and lab-grown meat. Out of the gate, before anything else, before any part of this conversation, we absolutely need to cut our meat consumption and animal byproduct consumption down significantly, especially wealthy nations. That's just a fact. It's painful, and we're going to have to adapt to it. But at the same point, we have to recognize that there are real cultural barriers and agricultural benefits to animal husbandry that can't be wished away. For example, Uruguay is an extremely meat-heavy culture. And North America views the steak dinner as an expression of celebration. Um, The United States Southeast views their entire cuisine around taking what's byproducts and turning them into delicious foods. And animal husbandry can help build demand and add plants into the ecosystem that have high CO2 capture rates and enrich the soil through tilling and fertilizer and the natural process of these animals existing and foraging for foods. So we've really got to be responsible and change. That'll mean that meat gets very expensive for the fact that if we do it well, there's going to be a lot less meat that's going to be raised fairly. And that means that it's going to be expensive and there's going to be less of it to go around. So it transitions from becoming an everyday thing to, to very much a treat, a celebration, something that if it makes sense, if it's something that you agree with in your culture, that it becomes a holidays thing versus something that's just like every day during the week, I have ground beef. I'm not going to think about where that ground beef comes from. Um, I'm not going to think about the process that gets me ground beef seven days a week. And as part of that, we're also going to have to get used to eating awful and uh, largely vegetarian diets and meat substitutes like lab-grown meat to fill in that gap. And that's something that we can do right now. We don't need permission from anyone. 
Christina, the producer, and a vegetarian of 36 years, interrupting with a dilemma I'd like to hear your thoughts on. So drop us a comment or send us an email at solarpunkpresence at gmail.com. Meat should be more expensive so that it's raised more humanely and wreaks less havoc on the environment. But given how many people are already just making ends meet, is it solar punk to go back to a world where only the rich are regular meat eaters? Give us your thoughts. And now back to the interview. I would urge people to think about how you can have the least environmental impact or even a net positive environmental impact in your region and what you eat based on what that region dictates, even if that means things like strict veganism aren't possible. The Black Forager on Instagram talked about this really, really well um, a few months ago where she was talking about how strict veganism doesn't work in some cases because if you're trying to do something like substitute honey with agave nectar, but you live in the middle of the Midwest of the United States, how does your agave nectar get from a tropical region all the way to the Midwest when there's a bee it's making honey as a byproduct. And so sometimes it's better for the environment for you to eat some eggs or honey or milk, at least in my opinion, if that makes sense for you culturally. As you were talking about culturally specific ways of eating, I kept thinking about the people in Canada's north, where I'm not sure how known this is outside of Canada, but if you're living in the North, especially in flying communities, it's very, very, very expensive to buy food from the grocery store. Like we're talking about $20 for a head of lettuce. And also due to climate change, a lot of flights are being canceled. A lot of the ice roads that make these places accessible are melting. And so they are not accessible anymore. And so shipping in groceries is becoming an issue. And so eating what they call country food or uh, eating off the land is the most sustainable option and the most likely for people to survive because they, they need this, this food to be able to continue living. And so uh, the strict veganism is not exactly an option for you if you, know, you can't afford the vegan food at the grocery store. That was in my head as you were speaking about that. Absolutely. That's the kind of thing I wanted people to start thinking about. I mean, the common example that I always hear referenced is why is it that me in South Carolina can get an avocado for two bucks? A lot of bad, a lot of, a lot of not great things happen for me to get an avocado for $2. Mm-hmm. And for there not to just be a single avocado for $2, but for there to be an entire palette of avocados for $2. That's a really great point and a really good discussion. And I think it really ties back into the last track consolidation. These are the tricky ways that we're going to have to navigate life sort of in this middle part between, you know, like dreaming of a solar punk future and solar punk future dream being realized is we're going to have to make these concessions and we're going to have to think through these difficult issues. I applaud you for for making a track that sort of addresses this. If I can also talk a little bit about one of the things that I think makes Hertz special and makes it a special track for me, along with all of these like broader ecological issues, are that the liner notes for this track have this beautiful, beautiful piece of concept art by uh, Felix Felix Riano. 
the thing that I love about this piece, well, there's two things. For one, um, I have a shepherd dog. And so when I saw that shepherd dog, I was like, oh, look, there's a dog in the solar punk future. I love this. And the piece of art is like so lived in and it paints such a realistic depiction of what the process of transporting things could look like. In this case, you've got this semi-autonomous herd of robots that are navigating across the countryside, and each one of them is a miniature greenhouse. And the implication here is that this entire herd started the process a while back, and they are making their way into a city or into their final destination. And rather than trying to pick something at the like right exact time, haul it across the country, and then pump it full of ethylene gas to get it to the perfect amount of ripeness. Mm -hmm. You just take the time and you take that transit time to finish the process so that the produce is ready by the time it gets to that final destination. And you can see it's a family affair. You've got the kids sitting on top of one of the robots as it's moving across. If you zoom in on that picture, there's like a whole bunch of little drawings because kids get bored and this takes a while. And the shepherd dog is sitting there in the middle or sitting there in the back. And I love the implication of it, of it doesn't, it isn't exactly clear if the dog is actually helping or if it's just like following eons of training and and just breeding of like, oh, this is something I need to tell it what to do. But I could absolutely see this uh, future where rather than like trying to build in a whole bunch of expensive chips um, and like create this autonomous flock that moves, they just say, okay, well, we'll make sure that they stay in the general area, but we've got herding dogs. So we'll let them like move it along. Like they're already doing this. I'm really glad that you shared this piece of artwork, both in your liner notes and as well with me right now, because it's wonderful to see this herd that is not really the kind of herd that, you know, one would have in mind on immediately coming to the like I said, the basic linguistic notion of a herd. And yet, this solar punk future, uh, it implies so many things. Like you said, the transit process for these fruits and vegetables, and the way that humans are in companionship, both with animals and with uh, robots and the more than human world. And with the natural environment, because by setting up a herd like this, you don't need to have a giant asphalt road. You can just basically follow a dirt path that is a lot better for the environment, has better water retention, doesn't disrupt the existing ecosystem that's there. You just move along it as you need to. Yeah, the legs on the robots look specifically adapted for a rough terrain. All right. I love the last track, A Psalm for Assisted Propagation. I have such a weakness for dramatic choral, and the title is evocative of the much-lauded solarpunk-adjacent novel by Becky Chambers, A Psalm for the Wild Built. At least it is for me. Um, It also reminds me a lot of the songs that are featured in Margaret Atwood's book, Year of the Flood, which came out a long time ago. Uh, The hymns that are sung by the God's Gardener's cult in that book Uh, though, of course, your psalm doesn't have any words or ones that are very distinguishable. So what were you going for with this track? And where did it come from? This track came from uh, my friend Lydia Martin, who does um, glitch art. If you uh, if you scroll down to the uh, 
to the next page. Since this is your favorite track, I also wanted you to see like the glitch art that she made for it because it is astounding. It's so weird and evocative. And she hit me with this, like we were discussing the project and we were trying to figure out ways that we could work together. And she she just sent this paragraph over and I had to sit down and think for a second. And she said that in this world, humans are erecting temples to nature, putting it on a pedestal, helping to cultivate the most effective or the most beautiful plants. And it's a form of worship. So artifacts of worship, temples, museums, galleries become part of the landscape. And this this whole EP was originally going to be three tracks. And then I saw that, or I saw <laughs> that in my chat. And I was like, okay, now it's four. I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't let that idea stand by. So since I wrote the track in the summer, it was summer in the Southeast is filled with cicadas, mm. um, which if you've never heard a cicada before, imagine a grasshopper next to an electric guitar amp. <laughs> it's just like the biggest buzz that you can hear. And I wanted to incorporate that sound and an artificial version of that droning that was filling my ears as I was trying to think about how to solve this and how to make this track. What I imagined was this whole ceremony about guiding these swarms of semi-autonomous robots to help propagate an entire greenhouse. That becoming a meditative practice and how people would use that as a chance to think about their place in the natural world. Similarly to things about like agriculture, the ideas of religion and what religion looks like is it's a it's tricky but i find that sometimes that honestly some of my favorite science fiction addresses those things that's why i love becky chambers trilogy and i'm so excited for the third book to come Mm. out is like i love the idea that you are following a monk and that you're following this very unique and particular kind of monk that is almost franciscan in their approach of just like i'm going to exist in the natural world and provide a clear and distinct benefit to my community and you were right that there aren't any words. That was actually deliberate. I pulled from my experiences of drifting off and daydreaming through Catholic masses growing up (laughs) and the way that if you lose your place for a second, then you're completely lost in your own head. And you're like, well, I'm just daydreaming now and sitting in this church and looking at all the stained glass and this will be over when it's over. And I'm just going to let, I'm going to use this as a, as a time to meditate and think through things. And that's why the song has a pyramid structure in its chords. Like it builds up, it has a structure and then it builds back down. Even though I call it like the most Brian Eno track I might ever make in my life. I mean, it's 10 minutes long and like it's very ambient it has this like very rigid structure that it builds itself on and i know that religion is and spirituality i mean it's so important to people and people are the basis of the solar punk future and so what will that look like in the solar punk future and this is one way to think about that and how religion integrates the the natural and and more than human world into it as well. I love it. So in our conversation over email before this interview, you mentioned wanting to talk about solar punk art guiding people to take actionable steps. So while I absolutely agree, solar punk music is not something I have a lot of experience with. So I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that. I don't have a lot of experience with it either because especially solar punk music particularly feels like a nascent genre, but For me, good art can be actionable. 
and driving people to think about these problems is part of the mission that I have for the art that I want to create. I mean, I started my own journey through all of this. As I said before, my pipeline to being a solar punk was by reading the third plate and then watching Annihilation immediately followed or watching Blade Runner 2049 and then immediately following that up with Annihilation and having an entire year where these two different realities existed in my head. And I was like vacillating between them where I was seeing like, Things happening around me that were like, oh, God, we're speed running Blade Runner 2049. But then also thinking about like the world that Annihilation builds and the way that Jeff Vandermeer does such a good job with his Southern Reach trilogy and with Born of building this world where humans exist in nature. But nature is something that is so much larger than us. Having that duality exist in my head um, for over a year, I mean, it just continually comes up and following up with all of that and continuing to pull at those threads. So if I can make something that takes the parts of ambient music that I love, the meditative aspects, the way that it builds sounds, um, the way that you can draw your own conclusions and pull your own insights from it, but gives it this order and this structure and a clear identity to make it more actionable for folks to imagine their place in a solar punk world, that's a huge win for me. And that's why I made sure that Mesh Network had so many different sonic identities and that each of the aspects that I focused on are part of the world at large. We can't realistically build a solar punk future with myopic thinking. There's going to be stuff that we don't connect with that goes against our preferences or that humans have to struggle through. And as with Dawn, and as you said before, people will still be people. And that is just the hope of the solar punk future and also the difficulty in bringing that future about. And it's that duality that is just so intriguing and I love it. <laughs> and last question, and this is a little bit off topic and I didn't yes. press you for this, but I want you to tell us about your dog. The people want to know. My dog's name is Kira. I absolutely did not name her after my favorite Star Trek Deep Space Nine character because that's only something a nerd would do. And I mean, let's be honest here. I'm not that. Uh, no, she's great. She is an Australian Shepherd Collie mix. She's five years old. She is the, I, I, I call her the id of dog. She is the platonic ideal of a dog in all of the positive and negative aspects. <laughs> So Solar Punks, you can stream Mesh Network on Bandcamp and you can buy a copy at the link that we put in the show notes. The album includes liner notes and an art book uh, with the art that guided Thomas during the composition process. I also wanted to make another note. Um, this is a direct call to uh, action for any librarians that are listening. If you want a copy for your library, whatever kind of library it is that uh, helps a community, I will give it to you 100% pro bono. Like, I just want this to be there for people. And libraries were foundational to my upbringing, and this is a way that I can give back. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, there's You get so much with this uh, Mesh Network purchase, honestly. Um, and you get notes about the track's production, which I find super cool. It's a way to observe the process, I, I think, uh, a little bit distanced from it, but observing it nonetheless. It's not quite like being there in the room with you, but 
a sharing that headspace, which I find really, really, really cool. As as a non non musical artist, it's just a different way of thinking about things. Thomas, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me about your album. And where can our listeners find you and your work online? The easiest place to find my uh, work online would be my Bandcamp page. If I remember correctly, that is tcannonfodder.bandcamp.com. My personal website is thomascannon.me. That's more general for various programming, some music stuff, and some game design stuff. Just like the general grab all of things that I dabble in and write about as I get time. But Bandcamp is, I would say, the, uh, the most direct way. That's wonderful. And we'll put all those links in the show notes so that people can have an easy access to them. So thank you so much for contributing to the solar punk futurist that we all want to see by doing such great work in the present. Thank you. And thank you for um, a great podcast. I was uh, listening before to prepare for this interview and season two has been so great right out of the gate. Um, I loved the conversation with the librarian and talking about um, all the various uh, problems and ways that they are addressing problems in their communities. It just was great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And we're planning to continue this. Ooh. I can't wait. And that's a wrap for episode four of season two. I hope you've been inspired to check out some of Thomas Cannon's songs at tcannonfodder.bandcamp.com. If you've been enjoying our podcast, come visit our website at solarpunkpresence.com. Be sure to send us an email at solarpunkpresence at gmail.com with your thoughts on the question that came up during the episode on producing less meat more sustainably, but more expensively. How do we make that fair? If you'd like to support the Solar Punk Presence podcast, helping Ariel and I cover the cost of producing it, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash solarpunkpresence and sign up for membership for just a few dollars a month. Who knows, <laughs> at this point you might become our very first patron. Thank you for listening to Solar Punk Presence, a podcast hosted and produced by Ariel Kroon and Christina Della Rocha. The audio for this episode was recorded in part on the traditional territory of the neutral Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples and in Germany. The opening and closing music of this podcast is Water Cooler Gang by Monkey Warhol, available for use under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Until the next episode, keep dreaming and keep up the good work.